Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Located in the highlands of Scotland, Loch Ness is one of its most visited sites. But what's its real story? Is there a monster hidden within its depths? Let's dive into episode 22 of the Scottish History Podcast to find out. This is the estimated number of lochs in Scotland. 7,500 is the estimated amount just on the Western Isles such as Skye, Mull and Arran alone. The five largest lochs of Loch Awe near Oban, Loch Lomond just northwest of Glasgow, Loch Morar situated between Glenfinnan and Malague, Loch Shiel at Glenfinnan and of course Loch Ness just to the west of Inverness these five lochs hold about one-third of all of the water held in freshwater lochs in Scotland. The longest loch in Scotland is Loch Awe at 41 kilometres or 25 miles in length. The largest by surface area is Loch Lomond at 71 squared kilometres or 25 and a half square miles. And the deepest loch, well that would be Loch Morar. I bet you thought I was going to say Loch Ness. But no, Loch Morar is Scotland's deepest loch with an average depth of 87 metres or 284 feet and its maximum depth of 310 metres or 1,017 feet deep. Loch Morar is also said, like Loch Ness, to have its own monster, Morag. But we are not focusing on that. This week we are going to focus on Loch Ness and of course its world-famous resident Nessie, or the Loch Ness Monster. What is it about Loch Ness that brings hundreds of thousands of tourists flocking to its banks every year and generates an estimated £41 million a year to Scotland's economy? Loch Ness is a freshwater loch situated in what is known as the Great Glen, or the Big Valley for the Laymans. 
I'm sure I'll do an episode about that on its own, but basically the Great Glen is a valley which is around 65 miles long and stretches from Fort William in the west to Inverness in the east. Through it is the Great Glen Fault, which is a tectonic plate that the Earth moves upon. Because of this, the areas uh, surrounding areas are hit by mild earthquakes every so often, and even just this week, a 2.8 magnitude earthquake was recorded on the Isle of Skye. Loch Ness is the second largest body of water in Scotland and in Britain. At 56 squared kilometres or 22 square miles, and it is the second deepest loch in Scotland, with its maximum depth at 755 feet or 230 metres. But an area in which Loch Ness wins top prize is its volume of water. Loch Ness has the highest water volume and holds more water than any of the lakes in England and Wales combined. The word Ness appears to be Norse in origin for nose or headland, but the loch is named after the River Ness of which the loch is connected to, which then flows into the Murray Firth at Inverness, finally out to the North Sea. The word Inver means mouth, so the city of Inverness basically means at the mouth of the Ness. There is one small island on Loch Ness called Cherry Island, which is a man-made island and was made probably back in the Bronze Age. It used to feature something called a Cranog, which is essentially a wooden hut connected to the mainland via a bridge. Uh, again, Cranogs are probably something which we'll end up talking about in a later episode. Um, but just to give you an idea, it was uh, Cherry Island is very, very close to the uh, the mainland, if you will. The Cherry Island originally measured about 160 metres by 168 metres. However, after the construction of a canal in the Great Glen uh, in the 19th century, the water level has raised so high that it is now considerably smaller. Cherry Island is believed to have at one time contained also a castle or a wooden fortified structure and a small neighbouring island which was flooded over once again because of the canal construction was referred to as Dog Island, perhaps as this may have been where hunting dogs were kept for the castle on Cherry Island. Now speaking of castles, Loch Ness does have an existing castle on its banks and it is the third most visited castle in the country after Edinburgh and Stirling castles. This is called Urquhart Castle, just outside the village of Drumnadrocket. The castle itself um, dates back from the 13th century, and it played a part in the Wars of Independence with William Wallace and Andrew de Murray seizing the castle in the late 13th century. I did talk about that in episode 3 of this particular podcast. If uh, this is your first time listening, I do recommend that you go back to the beginning and work your way forward. However, this particular episode you can listen to all the way through, but I do recommend you going back to the beginning. Uh, Urquhart Castle was seized by the Clan Grant in 1509 and... Subsequently, Grant's tower was erected, and mostly that tower still stands today, if in a little bit of a bad way. The castle itself was pretty much mostly destroyed back in 1692 by British government forces to prevent it 
being used by the Jacobites during the subsequent Jacobite uprisings. However, what brings most people to Loch Ness is the idea that they might catch a glimpse of the most famous Loch Ness resident, Nessie or the Loch Ness Monster. The Loch Ness Monster itself and the phenomenon surrounding it is not a recent thing. The first sighting was made back in the 6th century in 565 AD. This was by a famous Irish monk called St Columba. Columba's story was told by his successor in Scotland, Adomnan, in a biography about Columba. Adomnan tells us that Columba saw a group of men burying a man on the banks of the River Ness. They told him that a great water beast had dragged the man who was swimming in the river to his death. Columba wanted to see this beast for himself, so of course he did what any normal person would do. He sent one of his followers swimming onto the river just to see what would happen. The beast approached the follower and Columba raised his arms to make the sign of the cross and said, Go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. The beast stopped in its tracks and then fled and was not reported ever again. Until 1933, when on the 22nd of July in 1933, George Spicer and his wife saw a beast cross the road in front of their car. They described it at 1.2 metres high, 8 metres long and 4 metres wide, with a long neck resembling an elephant's trunk and left behind it a trail of undergrowth. This event kick-started the legend into modern day. Later in that same year, a photograph was disproved to have been the first reported picture ever taken of the Loch Ness Monster. In 1934, a motorcyclist provided a similar description to the Spicers and a drawing of a creature he almost collided with on his motorcycle, which resembled a plesiosaur. And then the 21st of April 1934, the newspaper The Daily Mail printed a photograph taken at the lock by London gynaecologist Robert Wilson, which still today is the most famous photograph ever taken of the Loch Ness Monster. Wilson originally wanted to remain anonymous, so the picture was referred to, and is still technically referred to, as the surgeon's photograph. From then on, there were hundreds of pictures and even videos taken showing what is believed to be the Loch Ness Monster. However, in 1994, the surgeon's photograph was confirmed that uh, the photograph taken in 1934 and now 60 years old, it was proved to be a hoax. The beast had been made out of wood putty, by a gang of hoaxers in a revenge plot against the Daily Mail after one of them had been ridiculed around fake Nessie footprints that had been found, reported and sent to the Daily Mail. Now the wood putty monster itself was fixed to a toy submarine bought out of a, a local shop called Woolworths and uh, this was so that it could float on the water. As they were finishing up taking the photograph, somebody started to approach the area, so they sunk the submarine under the water, and uh, they do actually say that it should still be in the loch somewhere to this day. 
Now, in total, five full-scale investigations using sonar equipment, submarines, etc. have taken place and they were found to be inconclusive. In 2018, a DNA study of the loch took place and despite no plesiosaur DNA found, a huge amount of large eel DNA was found instead, indicating that the monster, although might not be a dinosaur, could perhaps be a giant eel or maybe a collection of giant eels. For over 30 years on the banks of Loch Ness, the Loch Ness Centre and Exhibition in the little village of Drumnadrocket, just uh, about five minutes' drive away from Arkert Castle, has become a haven for anyone wishing to find out more about Loch Ness and the search for Nessie. You can even take part in some of their um, uh, research. They have a, a boat that goes out with sonar equipment called the Deep Scan. One of the uh, one of the five major searches that took place was called Operation Deep Scan. So you can actually go on one of these boats. You can see at the exhibition centre. You can see some of the old submarines that they that they used, and uh, a lot of the equipment in which was used throughout the course of these searches. The Loch Ness Exhibition Centre uh, itself was all an idea by a man called Adrian Shine, who was part of these numerous studies that took place of the loch and he's even written books and he even designed the whole exhibition himself and he can still regularly be seen around the centre with his sort of Gandalf-like beard. Usually if you go on YouTube etc and go and find a documentary about Loch Ness or the Loch Ness Monster, Adrian Shine is going to be on that documentary. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. I've met him a couple of times. Um, and uh, perhaps I might even see about maybe talking to him for the podcast and seeing whether he can maybe tell us some of uh, some of his stories and some of his findings, etc. However, if you are in the area, in the Loch Ness area, I do recommend that you visit the Loch Ness Exhibition Centre in Drumnadrocket. Um, especially if you're heading up towards uh, Arkert Castle. Of course, the main issue at the moment is a lot of people cannot travel at this moment in time because of the COVID-19 outbreak. But if you are in the area, it is open. Uh, they have uh, set it up so that it can be um, gone through safely and that uh, all of the information is there, etc. Uh, so you can actually go and visit for those of you that are perhaps abroad then uh, do make it part of your plan. Um, it's on the way to Inverness if you're coming from Fort William, but it's also on the way out towards the Isle of Skye, for example, if you're going from Inverness in that particular direction. I do highly recommend the exhibition. Now, one of the other things which happened upon Loch Ness was, uh, was back in the 1950s when a man called John Cobb wanted to set the uh, the world water speed record, which was, um, you know, like a land speed record. He wanted uh, to have the world's fastest boat, essentially. So he built this boat with rockets on the back, and uh, he'd already achieved many of the land speed records by that particular point. But when it comes to uh, any form of these records, you will always notice that, uh, so if it's a land speed record, you will always see that the, this this rocket-powered car will fire off as fast as possible. And then at the end of its track, so there's usually, a, it's usually set between one miles or maybe even two miles. And when it reaches the end of that track, it, the, the vehicle has to turn around and come back 
of its own power in order for that record to actually stand. So with John Cobb and his boat, he set off on Loch Ness. He chose Loch Ness specifically to perform his um, his his world uh, water speed record. Uh, he opened up the throttle. Away he went. He managed to reach a top speed of about 230 miles per hour, which at that time would have broken the record. He's got to the end of his mile-long track. He's turned around. And uh, what you will notice with a lot of these uh, record attempts is when these vehicles do turn around and come back, they tend to do it rather slowly. And this is because of what is about to happen to John Cobb. John Cobb turns his boat around and instead of coming back nice and slowly, he opens the throttle once again, reaching once again speeds of over 200 miles an hour. And unfortunately, his boat hit one of his wakes that had, that had been created from his first run, his first pass through, and the boat essentially disintegrated. And unfortunately, on that day, John Cobb lost his life. Another kick in the teeth, really, for John Cobb and, of course, his his now grieving family was the fact that although John Cobb had set the water speed record on his first pass, because he never returned to point A, he'd been from point A to point B, but he had to return to point A, because he never re uh, reported back to point A, his efforts were, were null and void. Someone went out onto Lake Windermere, the, the, the longest lake in England, the following year and set the record at, uh, I think it was 218 miles per hour. So John Cobb had actually gone well over 10 miles an hour faster than the person who eventually set the record. Uh, John Cobb's boat, the remains of his boat, were found recently and uh, and due to respect for, for Mr. Cobb, they will be kept uh, where, they, uh, where they now lie. Um, so th there's, uh, there's loads more stories. Uh, someone also managed to swim the full length of Loch Ness. Uh, a woman, uh, it was back, in, I think, in the 60s, 1966, I think it was, and um, it took her 31 hours to swim the entire length of the loch. You know, you are talking 23 miles. That's uh, rather impressive. So, yeah. Um, so, folks, uh, that's going to sort of wrap it up for today. Um, I should be back on track once again this weekend. Unfortunately, this episode was a little bit delayed due to some technical issues that I had. Um, turned out that for some reason the file had been corrupted. Um, I'm trying to go for a little bit more of a positive, um, you know, maybe make a couple of changes to the podcast, so, you know, so I've tried a new introduction there, you know, let me know what you think about that, there's loads of ways to uh, connect with the podcast, of course we're, here, we're on Facebook, so facebook.com forward slash scotthistorypod, uh, on Twitter at scotthistorypod, instagram.com forward slash scotthistorypod, um, we also have uh, a support mechanism for the podcast. If you wish to donate monthly to the podcast, this can be done via what's known as the Patreon page. So that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Scott History Pod. And you can donate between £1 per month or £3 per month uh, to the podcast, which helps with the running costs um, and uh, and other additional things. 
Um, you can hear this podcast on places such as uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. It's also uploaded weekly. Um, every time there's an episode, it automatically uploads onto YouTube as well. So if you like your um, podcast through YouTube and things like that, go and subscribe on there. Click the little bell icon and then that will give you a, a, an indication, a notification as to when the next episode is live. Um, so folks, once again, thank you very much for uh, all of your support and uh, if there's any questions in which you have, you can also email me directly at uh, scotthistorypod at gmail.com. But I think that'll be that for episode number 22. So once again, thank you very much and I'll speak to you next time.